today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. Okay. Is that better? Yes. Is that better? Okay. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 today, guys. I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, starting back in verse 1. So we're going to have a little bit of just review. This, this, really this whole section is tied together. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the Gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. You guys can be seated. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, God, that Your Word would penetrate our hearts by the person of Your Holy Spirit. God, do a work in our hearts. Draw us closer to You. Capture our attention today, Lord, of this great salvation that we have. And Lord, please help me, Lord, to not be distracted, but to clearly proclaim Your Word to Your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. So last week, guys, in verses uh, 6 through 9, we really the text really emphasized the reality of our rejoicing in our salvation. For those of you who were here, we, we really spent the whole, the whole hour just uh, seeing how that we have such a great salvation to rejoice in. And we should be rejoicing in our salvation. It's, it was really a given in the text that Peter assumed that they, that they are rejoicing. And so that, that was really the... Um, although it wasn't an imperative in the text, that was, it was more of an exhortation for us to recognize the salvation that we have, to rejoice... You know, we looked at the purpose of our trials last week and, and just the reality that God loves us so much that He sends us through trials, that He has a purpose in them. 
And that we see that our perseverance through these trials is really the, the proof that our faith is genuine as we continue to walk with Christ. This Christ who we've never seen, right? But we love. You guys ever stop to think about that? You've never seen Him. But you love Him. You love Him more than anybody or anything. And so that's a cause of rejoicing. We have to remember the context of the letter that, that Peter is, again, he's trying to comfort these persecuted believers that are scattered throughout the region. So that's, we, we always want to keep that in the back of our mind. And we see, we see in the text that we've been looking at, and, and as well as today, he's not attempting to comfort them by telling them how good they are, right? No, he's emphasizing this great and mighty salvation, the grace of God. And we can see that he's still talking about this salvation today. That's what he starts off in verse 10. He says, as to this salvation, this salvation that we've been looking at the last three weeks, in verses 1 through 9, you know, all the way back in verse 1, this salvation, he began with the fact that you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, that God the Father set his love upon us before the foundation of the world. We looked at how our salvation was accomplished through the, through the triune God, the Father, the Son shedding His blood for us, the Spirit setting us apart. We then looked at His, um, His great mercy as the motive for causing us to be born again. And that's something that God did. That God had to act. And He did. And He caused us to be born again to that living hope that we looked at. That inheritance that we looked at which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. All of these things, in verse 6, it says, in this, all of those things down through verse 5 was caused to, re- to rejoice. This salvation that's protected by the power of God in verse 5. And, and again, last week we looked at just the purpose of trials. And, and what they accomplish in our life, what they teach us, that we're able to minister to our brothers and sisters. Because of the fact we've gone through trials, we learn experientially, you know, walking with Christ, and, and, in, and it's also a, a proof of our, that our salvation is real. And that we're going to endure to the end by, and, you know, that, and that was up in verse, actually that was verse 5, that we're going we're gonna to persevere to the end because of the power of God, because He preserved us. Just a, just a short review, this, this salvation that we see in verse 10. As to this salvation. We're going to continue to see things today in these next three verses that should cause us to rejoice greatly. That should remind us of what a great salvation we have been given. That everything in our lives should pale in comparison to this salvation that we've been given. It made me think of, of Paul in, um, in Galatians chapter 1, his words to the Galatians in verse 3 and 4 in chapter 1, he said, he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for your sins. So there we see, there we see the, the Gospel. So that He might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. If you want to know what salvation is, guys, this salvation that we're looking at today, I don't think it can be described in any clearer way than really that word right there that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from the present evil age. Do you realize that if you know Christ, you have been rescued? 
You've been rescued. Do we think of salvation in that, in that way? That's what the word means. to be. We've talked about that. To be delivered, right? Delivered from the penalty of sin. The power of sin. Someday from the presence of sin. And I even read a uh, quote from A.W. A. Pink this week. And he said even, even uh, from, the, from the love of sin. Which I guess that would go along with the power of sin. But we have been delivered. We have been rescued from this present evil age. And it's through the, the, the salvation that we're going to look at today. The gospel. What Christ did for us. And we need to remember that, guys. I, I don't say that lightly. You know, when we think of when we think of a, you know, think of the uh, the fireman or, or somebody in a job like that. What, what do they call it? The fire and rescue. They rescue people, right? And we rejoice in that. We think about, oh man, he rescued that child out of that burning building. Think about what Christ has rescued you from. What you deserve because of your sin. That, that's what we mean by always preaching the gospel to ourselves. When we remember who we were and what we deserve and the fact that He has rescued us from an eternal fire, that's cause to rejoice. That is cause to rejoice. So it's the salvation we're going to talk about today. The title of the message is Our Great Salvation. I hope you can... I mean, I'm convinced most of you guys already do understand that, but I, but I hope by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word, guys, that you will see even in a clearer way the greatness of, of your salvation that you have been given. That you didn't earn, you didn't do anything to earn it, but that you have been given through what Christ did upon the cross. So we're going to look at three things today, three points today. Verse 10 is our first one. We're going to look at our great salvation prophesied. Our great salvation prophesied in verse 10. Verse 10 says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. It says the prophets who prophesied. That's the first thing we're going to look at in that verse. Who are they? Who are these prophets that prophesied? I think Christ can um, help us out with that in Luke, Luke chapter 24. I'll read that real quickly. You guys remember this account? <clears throat> Luke 24, verses 25-27. This is on the road to Emmaus after His resurrection to two of His disciples. Starting in verse 25. And He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets and all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself and all the Scriptures. And I know you've probably heard this before, but what a Bible study that would have been to listen to Christ go through the Old Testament. So when it's talking about these prophets over in Peter, just think of from Moses to Malachi. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And it said, the next thing we'll see in that verse, they, they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In verse, in verse 10, As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. And so we have to ask ourselves, does this, does this mean that grace 
was not understood or grace was not received in the Old Testament? No, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, Before we look at what it is, um, that's not the case. We can see examples in the Old Testament where they, they understood the grace of God. They understood that God was gracious. In Psalm 116.5, the psalmist says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. And then in, uh, in Genesis 6.8, we see Noah. Noah received the grace of God. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or in the King James, the New King James, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can even see Moses in Exodus chapter 22. Just, just looking at this real quickly. That Moses had an understanding of the grace, that, that God was gracious in Exodus 22, verses 26 and 27, under uh, sundry laws or various laws, He says, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. And then our last example of just seeing God's grace revealed in the Old Testament was in the book of Jonah. Do you guys remember God had told Jonah to go preach to the, to the, to the uh, Ninevites, that, those wicked people, and he fled. He fled to Tarshish. And we see why he fled. After he had preached to the city, and the city repented. And he was upset about it because his heart was not right with God. If you want to call him a racist, whatever word you want to use. But he says this in uh, Jonah 4 verse 2. He says, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. I knew that you would show those wicked people grace. That's why I fled. In case you ever wondered why he fled, it's because he knew God was gracious. Well, that just shows you that God can use somebody whose heart isn't right to accomplish His purpose when His message is preached. But we see, we see the grace of God even in the Old Testament. We can see it in Acts 10.43 when Peter says this when he was preaching to the Gentiles. He says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So there was some kind of understanding of the grace of God. They understood that God was gracious and that he would provide forgiveness of sins through the promised one. But they didn't have a full and complete understanding as how all of it would be manifested and carried out. And that's what we see uh, as we proceed through this, these Scriptures here. He says, As to the salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, make careful searches and inquiries. So that's the third thing we see in that verse, that they made careful searches and inquiries. That just The, the meaning is they... they it was diligent searching or seeking for something. That's what that phrase means. Investigating. It's like the searching of a treasure. Or, or maybe investigating to, to solve a mystery. It's very intentional. And so what were they searching for? What were they, make, what were they making inquiries of? We see it in verse 11. We see the answer is in verse 11. It says, 
In verse 10, they made careful searches and inquiries. And in verse 11, which is our second point, we see it's our great salvation that's purchased. And it also answers that question of what they're searching for. In verse 11, what, what are they searching for? Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. What person or time? Your version may say what time or circumstance. What or what what or what manner of time? What what time? What person was this that these um, that they're that they're of this grace as to the salvation of backup as to the salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. So when would this happen? What would be the circumstances around this happening? What person would it be? If you flip over to Luke chapter 2, it will give us a little bit of, I think, understanding of just an Old Testament saint. In Luke 2, we'll look at that, we'll look at that individual named Simeon at the birth of Christ. And we'll just it'll give us a little bit of a glimpse of the anticipation that the Old Testament saints had of this coming Messiah. Luke 2 verses 25 through 32. So we really see who he is in the context as we just look at this verse. It says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. This gives us a small glimpse into some of their anticipation that they had. Obviously, they didn't have full revelation, but they knew that God was sending this, this Deliverer, this Messiah. And so we see, the second part we're going to see in verse 11 They're seeking to know, these Old Testament prophets, they're seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Spirit of Christ within them. What do we see in that phrase right there, guys? That the Spirit of Christ is the one that was ministering to these these Old Testament prophets. We see Christ in the Old Testament right here in this verse. We see Christ in the Old Testament. You guys familiar with many times in the Old Testament we see the, the pre-existent Christ in, um, in human form whenever we see phrases like the angel of the Lord ministered to one of the patriarchs or one of the prophets. That's a reminder of the, the, the pre-existent Christ coming in human form. But here we see the Spirit of Christ. 
The Holy Spirit is often referred to as the Spirit of Christ. And so what should this, what should this remind us all of? That This very fact, guys. That Jesus did not come into existence when He was conceived in Mary's womb. He didn't come into existence 2,000 years ago. He didn't come into existence when He was conceived. He didn't come into existence when He was born in Bethlehem. What did He tell the Jews in John chapter 8, verses 56 and 59? He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see My day. And he saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to Him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And therefore they picked up stones to stone Him. So we can be reminded in this verse right here that the Spirit of Christ was the one that was that was helping these prophets, that was revealing these things, that was predicting these things that we're going to look at here in just a minute, the sufferings of Christ. It was the, it was the pre-existent Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now I may be preaching to the choir, but we need to remember, guys, that He did not come into existence when He was born. He came into the world, the very world that He created. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so what exactly was the Spirit of Christ communicating to them? We can see that in verse 11. The second half of verse 11. It says, Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. What exactly was the Spirit of Christ communicating to them? It says that He was indicating or making plain the person or time of these things as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. That's what we see at the end of verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. This was what He was predicting to these prophets. He was predicting the sufferings, first of all, of Christ. And again, we could trace these things throughout the whole Old Testament, but just to get our, uh, just to get an idea of what some of these sufferings are, first thing we see it all the way back in Genesis chapter three, right in the first gospel account, the Lord saying to the serpent in the garden after the fall, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed." He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise Him on the hill. Now we know that ultimately through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that He defeated Satan, right? He came to destroy the works of the devil. But this verse also indicates that Christ did suffer. He did suffer through through His, um, obviously through His passion upon the cross. Christ suffered. When we think of uh, probably the two most common places we think of, the clearest passages is Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Some of these sufferings of Christ. If you'll turn to Psalm 22, just going to look at a few verses. We can see, again, just a few of the passages that Christ would have been showing these disciples when He took them to the Old Testament. But Psalm 22, looking at a few of the sufferings of Christ, 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a few verses. Uh, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We looked at that a few, a few months ago. Uh, that that's a picture of Christ upon the cross as God the Father was crushing Him under His wrath. Look at verses 6 and 7. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip and they wag their head. That's clearly revealed in the New Testament that the, the mockers were wagging their heads as they walked by as the Messiah was upon the cross. Verses 16 and 18 in Psalm 22, or verses 16 through 18. For the dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Clearly a prophecy of the crucifixion. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 10, clearly see the sufferings of Christ. And again, these prophets, they don't even understand clearly, fully what they're prophesying about. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 10. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away, And as as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Clearly a reference and a prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ upon the cross. What's very interesting about these prophecies, uh, young people, maybe you may be very interested to hear this, that at least from my study, uh, the, first, the first known means of, of um, crucifixion was in 539 B.C., by, by uh, King Darius of Persia. That's the first time that death through crucifixion was practiced. Later the Romans perfected it. Both of these prophecies were hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented. And we see it clearly laid out in the Scripture. Clearly describing crucifixion before crucifixion was ever practiced. And it just shows you the really one of the strongest evidences of the Word of God being divine. 
that we see these things prophesied. Uh, the, the book of Psalms, or chapter 22 of the book of Psalms was supposedly written around 1000 B.C. So you're talking several hundred years before. Isaiah was written anywhere between 739 and 681 B.C. So probably 150 to 200 years before crucifixion ever even practiced. And yet the Lord in detail describing how the Messiah was going to pay for the sins of His people. So we see some of the sufferings in the Old Testament that the Spirit of Christ was predicting. And then it, and then it says the glories to follow at the end of verse 11. The glories to follow. We're not going to look at it. You can turn to Psalm 16 and uh, clearly describing the resurrection of Christ. But we'll look at a couple of the other glories. When you think about the glories that follow, you know, His sufferings, obviously His passion, His... Uh, his beatings, his mockings, his the crucifixion, bearing the wrath of God, the glories that follow would be things like his resurrection, his ascension, his enthronement. A couple passages we'll look at that no doubt this would be referring to in Isaiah, very familiar passage, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We can see some of these glories that follow. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then the very familiar passage in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Beloved, He is on His throne. He is risen from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God right now, reigning right now in power. He is on His throne right now as we speak. So we we see the, the sufferings of Christ. We see the glories of Christ that the Spirit of Christ would have been predicting. So we ask, okay, so what? Well, I think if you, if, you know, if we remember the context of this letter, what Peter is attempting to do with these believers who are suffering, and as we talked about last week, the context of the trials that he is writing about would definitely be the persecution of the saints, right? Intense suffering, right? From this crazy Nero who's having believers put to death. Tying them to stakes, lighting them on fire, sewing them in the skins of animal skins and feeding them to wild beasts. So Peter is comforting these believers. Last week when he talked about the trials. But you remember what we looked at last week, guys? For those of you who were here, in verse, in verse 6, it says you have been distressed by various trials. And the reason why that's important to remember, guys, because this applies to all of us. 
This doesn't just apply to the trial of being persecuted like these believers were. Any trials we are going through, the Word of God is there to comfort you and to remind you of the victory that you have in Christ, of this great salvation that we're looking at today. So, so I ask the question, so what? How does that, what does this mean for us? I think at this point, guys, I just want to remind you that we, on this side of the cross, not only on this side of the cross, but probably even more so, we have the full canon of Scripture. Okay? We, we see the person in time. The, you know, uh, we, we see that it was Christ. We get to read about these things. We have the full revelation. We are so privileged. We have the whole story, the who and the when and the how. This should cause us when we open up the Old Testament and we read these things like we just read, when you're reading the Word of God, you should read these things and you should, you should have an eye and a lens to see Christ on almost every page. And it should cause you to rejoice. We've been given this full revelation. It should cause us to rejoice, which is what Peter is continuing to attempt to do Beloved, rejoice in your salvation you've been given, no matter what kind of suffering you're going through. Look at what you have that even the prophets of old did not have. We have been given so much light. Do you understand that? We know how we have been rescued. We can see it. It's laid out for us. And then we can go back to the Old Testament and see it. Yes, it's even there. He was revealing these things all the way through. So I would just remind you, really just at a continuation of last week, rejoice in these things. Rejoice in your salvation, this great salvation, this gospel. Another thing we can rejoice in is that as we, as we read about this, and as you, as you look at the Old Testament, we understand that this gospel, it's not new. God has been predicting this from the very start. And we can see it all the way back in Genesis. And then in certain passages we read in the, in the New Testament how it was preordained before the foundation of the world. And we can see it step by step, shadow upon shadow. We can see these things becoming clear. And now we, we live on this side of the cross. But these things, they're rooted in the Old Testament. So be encouraged and strengthened by these things, guys, as you go through trials now and as we prepare for suffering that we will go through. We need it. That's why this letter, it's just starting out, these first 12 verses, about this great salvation that we have. And we see these things, guys, not to make our heads swell up, but to comfort us, to, to comfort you, to encourage you that God has done this for you. And then lastly, in verse 12, we're going to see our great salvation preached. Our great salvation that was preached. It says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, or but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It was revealed to them, it says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. The Scriptures never say how exactly it was revealed to them. It doesn't say... Um, 
that they were not serving themselves. It doesn't say how. But I think we can I think we can imply some things. That they're that they're searching and that their inquiry that we read about, it could not be totally satisfied. Because the gospel could not be fully and completely revealed, or it was not fully and completely understood and revealed in the Old Testament. Many times, again, they were dealing with shadows and promises of the one to come. Not even understanding what it is they're writing. We can see it now, right? When we have a New Testament lens, we can see, oh yes, here's Christ. They didn't have that privilege. Example, in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your countrymen, you shall listen to him. Now, when we talk, when we say that they did not, uh... hold on, I'm losing my place here, guys. Hold on, just one second. Yeah, so it's not that they didn't get to experience the salvation and the grace of God, but they didn't have a full understanding. They didn't get to experience the very promises that they're promising, that they're prophesying. He, listen to Hebrews 11, verse 39, talking about the saints of old. All, and all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So it's not that Moses didn't receive salvation by the grace of God. He just didn't get to receive, to witness the, the thing he was promising. And I did write a verse down, kind of on a side note. It's one of those, one of those really kind of neat connections you make in the Scripture that I wanted to read to you real quickly. Luke 9.35 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, so Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, the verse we just read, that God's going to raise up a prophet like me from your countrymen, and He says, you shall listen to Him. And as I was thinking about that verse, I was like, I was thinking, listen to Him. I, I remember God saying that in the New Testament. And so it was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. And who is with Christ? Moses and Elijah. And that's where the Father said, This is My Son, My Chosen One. Listen to Him. Wow. So Moses never got to experience that on earth. But on that day, he got to experience it. Seeing that One that he was prophesying about, being with Him. And hearing the Father say those exact words, Listen to Him. So they didn't get to see these things that they were predicting. But you, the Scripture says in verse 12, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which, into which angels long to look. You have seen, in other words, you have seen these things fulfilled in Christ. So what are these things in verse 12? What are these things in these things which have now been announced to you? It says, In these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you, these things, the salvation and the grace that was to come, these things have been announced to you. Remember, he's writing to these believers 
And these things, these things, they have been announced to you. Who are they announced by? Well, by the apostles and by others who preached the gospel. You guys heard the gospel. They were announced to you. We see an example of that in Acts chapter 2. Peter himself. One of these examples of these, of these apostles announcing this salvation to them. We're not going to read the whole sermon, but if you guys remember uh, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, we can just look at the very end of it. Peter said to them, Repent, each one of, each, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received His words were baptized. And on that day, <coughs> that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This is an example of what He's talking about in verse 12. Through those, you, you believers who I'm writing to, you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You know, we think of the Holy Spirit being sent from heaven. We just think of the day of Pentecost when He came in power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see Paul really emphasizing this fact. Just his, his emphasis on the gospel and his emphasis on, on depending upon the power of the Spirit. In second, or in First Corinthians chapter two, the verses one through five, it says, "When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration." of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So they were preaching this message. The salvation was announced to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then lastly, things, all of these things, things into which angels long to look. You ever thought about that phrase? Thought about the mystery of that phrase? It says these angels, they long to look into these things. That longing, it's a strong desire, an overpowering impulse. It's rooted in a strong passion. It says they long to look. Stretch one heads. That, that, that phrase, it just means to stretch one's head forward and to bend down. It's the language of, of the, the Apostle John running up to the empty tomb and stooping in to, to look in to the, to, the, to the grave, to the tomb. Okay, just after these things that we've looked at, guys, do we, do we truly understand? Do we have any idea? Because I believe that's what Peter's trying to communicate. The significance, the 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 glory, the grace, um, the the weight, the, the magnificence, the, the and the privilege of our salvation. If you think about what this this text is saying, 
Do we take our salvation for granted? Do we understand what... When we go back to that word that we were rescued. Think about these holy angels, guys. These holy angels. When we think about who they were. First of all, they didn't need salvation. Okay? They're holy angels. They're the, what the Bible calls the elect angels. You have the elect angels and the fallen angels. So these, these angels didn't need salvation. You, you think about some of, the, some of the things that God... The function of the angels. God, God used His holy angels when, when you read through the Old Testament. Many times, and many times it was just a few of them to slaughter whole armies of Israel's enemies, right? We think about who these angels are that are longing to look into these things. These holy angels will, will come with the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns. And, and God is going to use Him in His, in His sovereignty to help judge the wicked. But amazingly, these holy servants of God, they seek to understand this salvation that you and I have. This precious salvation that you and I have. Hebrews chapter 1, it also tells us that these holy angels, they're ministering spirits sent out to render service for, for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. They minister to us. These holy angels. And so it says they're seeking to understand these things. And I believe one of the reasons they're doing that is that so they can more fully glorify God. That's what we see the angels doing. As, as, as I guess you could say, their primary purpose is to glorify God. Listen to Revelation 4.8. A scene in heaven. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They glorify God day and night. Could this be why they're looking into these things? So they can understand God even better? To glorify Him? Do you, again, do you understand, beloved, what a great salvation you have been given? A salvation that causes these holy angels to try to understand it. it it's so great that the holy prophets of old were, they were so committed to studying and laboring to get a better understanding of what we have full light of. The salvation is so great that the apostles turned the world upside down, the Scripture says, gave up their lives to proclaim it. This salvation that you and I have today, that we've been given. We sit here in our comfortable air-conditioned building. Most of us live a pretty comfortable life. And we have the salvation. We know we have the salvation. We have believed upon Christ by the grace of God. But do we truly understand how great it is? The salvation is so great, guys, that these holy angels that we read about, these beings that... <laughs> they're, they're holy angels... 
They're powerful angels. That they have a strong, passionate desire to look into the salvation that God has purchased for His church. And it's been given to us. It's been given to you today as you sit here today. This salvation. He purchased it. Right? Jesus Christ purchased your salvation. He purchased it. He he redeemed you from the slave market of sin. He rescued us. He rescued you. Do we remember these things? Do we remember the how great a salvation that we have? Do you rejoice in this salvation? Do you rejoice when you get up in the morning and you have time with the Lord? Are your first thoughts, Oh God, thank You for rescuing me. Or do you immediately go to your problems? Do you immediately go to your trials? Do you immediately go to what it is you're going through? Do you immediately go to your needs? Do you immediately go maybe interceding for others? All of those things are fine in the right place. But do you rejoice in the fact that God has rescued you? The very thing that holy angels are seeking to understand. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you rejoice in it? Or are you one who is sitting here today that is still neglecting such a great salvation? If you're not rejoicing in it, guys, again, for those of you who weren't here last week, Peter just assumes, okay, it wasn't an imperative in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. He's assuming that that's a normal thing for Christians to do. Those who have been saved by the grace of God, who have been delivered, you've been given new life in Christ, you've been given a new heart, new desires, new affections, this new reality in your life, that you know the one true God, that you know Christ, that you have a real, vibrant relationship with Him. Do you rejoice in it? And I just ask these things by way to, for us to probe our hearts. If you don't rejoice in it, are you one of the ones that maybe you've neglected such a great salvation as Hebrews warns us about? Beloved, these angels again, they were. think of who these angels are. They were at the beginning with God when He created everything. They were there. They understood His power and His, His creative power. And again, they've been His instruments of execution on the wicked. You know, when I think about these angels being instruments of execution on the wicked, they see the wickedness of man. Again, this is, this is me thinking, okay, this is me thinking, but I think that's one of the reasons why they long to look into these things. They see how wicked and rebellious sinful mankind is. And they seek to look into these things, to understand that God would redeem these wretches. But there's one other thing I want to point out to you about these angels. That this is it's not my idea. This is right out of the text. In Luke 15:10, what do we see the angels doing? When one sinner repents, 
The Bible says all the angels of heaven rejoice. We know that's true. When one sinner repents, the Bible says the angels rejoice in heaven. That's one of my favorite verses. The angels of God rejoice when a sinner repents. Is that not beautiful when you think about who these angels are? And how they execute God's judgment? And how they're, they're just these holy beings, they rejoice when a sinner repents. Do you understand that, guys? That heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And so I'll ask this, guys. If there is anybody in here and, you're, and, and that would describe you that you are neglecting such a great salvation as Hebrews tells us, neglecting or rejecting or putting it off, such a great salvation, it says, how will you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? How will you escape? How will you escape the holy fury of God that these angels sing about? The holiness of God. How will you escape the wrath of God that we read about in Isaiah 53 that was poured out upon Christ? That's going to be poured out upon those who neglect such a great salvation. And so the the writers are saying, how are you going to escape? How are you going to escape the wrath of God, the anger of God, what you justly deserve if you neglect the only means of salvation, which is Jesus Christ? The the answer is, is you won't. You won't escape. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You've heard the good news of the Gospel today just right out of the Scriptures. What Jesus did. His death, burial, and resurrection. That He purchased our salvation. He came to rescue you today. If you're in that boat, understand that this life is fleeting. And and, and I'm I'm going to close with Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. I'm just going to let the Word of God close us. He says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for such a great salvation, God. The salvation that we possess, Father, that I know I do, I take it for granted. God, that even Your holy angels attempt to look in and to understand really Your grace that You've given us. Father, I just pray, God, that no matter how I was unable to deliver this, Lord, that Your people would be encouraged. Would be encouraged through trials in their lives, Father. Difficulties that we have a great salvation to rejoice in. 
As, as we've looked at in this text, that it's an, it's an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. That is protected by the power of God. Our, our full and final salvation and our glorified body when we're with you. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's waiting on us. We possess it already. And one day we're going to experience it fully. Lord, I pray, God, that Your people would be encouraged with that. Just that very truth, Lord. The salvation that You didn't have to purchase for us, but that You chose by Your grace in Your infinite wisdom before the foundation of the world, the covenant of redemption, that Your Son would come that He would pay the price that we can never pay. That Your Spirit would do the work in our hearts, in our lives. And that one day we're going to receive our full salvation, our full inheritance. So Lord, I just pray that as we continue to go out through this letter, Lord, that this will be a foundation, God, that we will have. A reminder, really, of what a great salvation we have. Not to take it for granted, Lord, that, that we were on our way to an eternal hell. And by Your grace, by Your power, because of Your mercy, You saved us. Father, we thank You for that. I pray blessings upon this church family, Lord, upon each family. God, that they, would be, that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, Lord, that their love for You would grow as they reflect on their, their inheritance and their great salvation. Lord, I pray that You would be with us the rest of the day today as we talk about the Gospel and equipping our Lord. We thank You and love You. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.